This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Listening to live and on-demand shows has never been easier on NPR. All you have to do is go to the App Store or Play Store on your device and search up Access Internet Radio NZ. Select and download the first option at the top of the list. Once you've downloaded the app, the next step is to open the app and look for NPR. Once found, select it and then browse freely. Supported by New Zealand On Air. Hi, this is Property Matters with Greg Watson. And today we're going to be talking all things property as we usually do with a little bit of local stuff and a little bit of national stuff and some tips and advice thrown in there for good measure. So welcome along, I'm here in studio by myself today, Valise away, and we'll start with a little bit of news around renting in the Manawatu, the Manawatu being this region of course, and there is a headline that was in stuff in the Manawatu Standard this week, Manawatu Tenants Union pleas for rent control as regions' rents continue to climb. So rental prices have risen sharply in the Manawatu Wanganui area, shooting up 9.1% in the year to June to hit $360 per week in terms of the rental price index, the national median rent that is. So $360 per week in Manawatu Wanganui is now the median rent. So Manawatu Tenants Union Coordinator Ben Schmidt said there had been a massive spike in people seeking the union's help over the past year as more people struggled to afford these constantly rising rents. He feels that the government needs to step in because it would take a long time to build enough houses to ease the sky-high demand and too many were finding it impossibly hard to live. And of course, that cuts into their budgets, he says, around groceries, power, etc., when they're just struggling to keep roofs over their heads. The median rent in Palmas North climbed 8.3% over the 12 months to the end of June to hit $390 per week. If you're a landlord and you haven't put your rent up lately or if you haven't had it assessed, that's a significant increase of around $30 per week. Ben Schmidt from Tenancy Union said many of the people seeking the union's help were faced with significant and often unexpected rent hikes, the largest of which, he says, was $110 per week. Now, history tells me that the best way to move forwards around uh, putting rents up is often just small increases regularly. The risk of putting a, a rent up in such a large way in one go is that tenants might move, of course. Now the current legislation says that legally that landlords cannot raise the rent within 180 days of the tenancy beginning or from the last rent increase. The government isn't looking to extend that out to 12 months. However, uh, according to Ben Schmidt, he says if you're not going to put limits on how much landlords can put rents up, that's not going to do much. One suggestion that has been mooted would be to have the maximum allowed rent increase to be linked to the consumer price index. Now, my personal view is that a market-driven economy is generally a good one. And although there are there are precedents for markets being artificially slowed in other countries, which I'll talk about in a minute, but what do I mean by market-driven? Well, let's look at the price of fruit 
or vegetables. Let's say avocados, for example. Why is it that some times of year they might cost you $5 for an avocado, other times of year might be $0.99? Cents? Well, the way that that works is supply and demand, of course. It's what people want. And what the struggle here at the moment is that there are simply not enough houses, and, of course, that's making the rents go up. Recently, the Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern was asked if Kiwi Build would still be a policy at the 2020 election. And Housing Minister Phil Triford ruled out rent control last year in favour of reducing rent by increasing housing supply through Kiwi Build. But the problem is, Kiwi Build's well off target. A thousand new houses had been signalled by July this year, but as of late June, 119 only had been built. Now, in Germany and parts of the United States, these rent uh, rent controls have helped, according to Ben Schmidt. I was phoned and asked by the newspaper about my view, which was that introducing rent control wouldn't solve the underlying problem of simply not having enough houses when it comes to finding people places to live. And in general sense, there's historically extremely low level of rental properties available. In other words, the situation we're in now is rather unusual. Landlords are finding that they can be really optimistic when setting the rents. And they still get what they ask for because of the high demand. So some of the stats, as I rustle my bits of paper around, tell me that within Manawatu, Hokifiru West is still the most expensive area to rent a house with a median weekly rent of $425 per week on a three-bedroom home. I did say in the article that rent control was worth consideration because it could keep rents affordable until enough new houses could be built to catch up with demand. But it would be a balancing act because landlords would still need to see the benefit of investing in rental property worth it in the first place. You see, we're wanting to house people in rental properties. If the rental properties become less appealing as an investment and landlords aren't buying them, it's counterproductive. Uh, But Ben Schmidt replied to that, saying that the balance had been successfully struck in other places, of which um, I cannot profess to have too much knowledge on that. So the area that's gone up the most in rent are Massey, Linton and Ashurst, up 10%. Awapuni North and West, up 9.9%. So some really big changes there. Moving on to house sales and stuff business, there was an article by... Abigail Doherty, with the headline, International Immigrants Not to Blame for Soaring House Prices, Researchers Say. So this study was done in Auckland at the suburb level, and the researchers estimated that a 10% increase in local population increased prices by 1.6%. So if you're looking for someone to blame for our soaring house prices, international immigrants are not it the research says. And this is the Multu Economy and Public Policy Research Working Paper, which is a proper scientific view at seeing how international immigration flows affected our housing markets. Median house price increased from about 120000 in 1994, a little hard to believe, isn't it, to $585,000 now, according to the Real Estate Institute. The Multu researchers noted that between 1986 and 2013, the number of foreign-born New Zealand residents more than doubled, while the New Zealand-born population rose only 9%. Over the same period, the inflation-adjusted house prices increased by 140%. 
What does this mean? They found that a 10% increase in a local area's population was only associated with a 4 to 6.5% increase in house prices. Uh, one of the research fellows, Trin Lee, says that good years bring more net migration into New Zealand. This leads to higher house prices. We designed our research to control for this and to try to discover how the size and mix of local population growth affects the local housing markets. So really, really quite an interesting article there. Another thing that they found was that areas that had a 1% higher share of, of returning New Zealanders had house prices that were up to 9% higher than average. So it's good to, to get a bit of context. We hear in the media often that immigration can be an issue coming from overseas and taking houses and certainly pushing prices up. is something that was uh, well publicised in the media, yet is not really an actual effect. In other news, the BNZ this week, according to tmmonline.nz, BNZ says the OCR cut is almost certain, OCR being the official cash rate of course, and economists at the big four lenders actually all believe that the OCR will be slashed to about 1.25% with the door left wide open for further cuts this year. The economists, including Stephen Topless and Craig Ebert, believe GDP growth will fall short of the Reserve Bank's expectations and anticipate it'll be downhill for the second half of the year. In a downbeat note to the market, the BNZ analysts predicted business confidence figures would not only fall below the Reserve Bank of New Zealand's forecast, but would end up lower than our relatively pessimistic predictions. So it's interesting to see where it will go. Financial markets predict that it could fall to 075 Australian interest rates are expected to fall as low as 0.5. So what does this mean? Does this mean lower mortgage rates? Not necessarily, but possibly. So we'll just have to keep a view on that one. Going back to foreign buyers and thoughts around immigration, another headline this week in Stuff Business said that there is a steep decline in property sales to foreign buyers. So the rules restricting non-residents from buying New Zealand homes have had a significant impact, economists say. Nationally, buyers without New Zealand citizenship or a resident visa were 0.5% of home transfers in the June 2019 quarter, down from 2.8% a year earlier. The, their activity is concentrated in some parts of the market, in particular central Auckland. And that's not surprising because it's a little easier to buy apartments um, because of the restrictions allowing that to happen. So I've really cut down on those. And they go through and talk about different areas that have been affected. But still the apartment market is busy with uh, people buying, uh, foreign buyers buying. What effect it will have on the overall market, we'll, we'll yet to see in terms of the actual numbers. In local news, a uh, faulty battery charger sparked a house fire near Palmerston North. And this was reported in the Two Standard just recently. A battery charger plugged into a kitchen wall has sparked a small fire at a house on Lockwood Road in the semi-rural Manawatu suburb of Kairinga shortly before midnight on Saturday. It took less than 30 minutes to extinguish the fire, which was contained to a kitchen, and no one was injured. But it just shows you leaving a charger, battery charger, in a plug switched on 
when it maybe hasn't got a device attached and so forth, does pose a little bit of a risk. Well, we're going to have a break now. Going to go to one of my personal favourites, Eric Clapton. This is a live recording of the song Layla. back with Property Matters. This is Greg Watson. I sort of cut the song a bit short there by accident. Hope you don't mind, but we'll get back into some property news. It's a case of pushing the wrong button, as sometimes can happen on radio, of course. So there's a new website out there for those of you who might be interested in renting an office or a backyard, 
possibly, I'm just sort of having a little scroll through it now, uh, possibly some storage space, a car park, etc. And this is called anyspace.co.nz. And this story from bizedge.co.nz, it says, Rent an office or a backyard, Kiwis make the most of unused spaces. Whether it's a spare room in a house or an entire backyard, this new initiative is hoping to share those spaces with those who need a bit more storage or working space. So Any Space is the new platform that connects those who want to rent out spare space with those looking for more, a little more room than they currently have. They interviewed the two creators of Any Space, Dave Shannon and Alex Aitken, and they say it's all about the community helping the community. To me, it sounds like a bit like Airbnb in a way, but yeah, it's certainly an interesting uh, look here. They say they currently have people renting out their garages and backyards, as well as community groups are listing their meeting and event spaces for hire when they're not being used. While any space originally focused on renting out storage space, it evolved into a platform that could offer much more, such as workshops and car parks, home offices, extra rooms, garages and other places. So some of the early users, they say, have described it simply as like Airbnb for storage and other usable space. And these types of platforms are becoming more popular to the rise of the gig economy and the modern workplace. So the gig economy being one where people are doing small jobs for other people and people who are can work independently of location, don't need a headquarters. They might just need collaboration spaces where the Wi-Fi is um, put on for them and that sort of thing. So anyspace.co.nz it's helping people earn a bit of extra income whether that's to help pay mortgages or to gain extra pocket money they say. Here's an article that was a opinion piece, a commentary if you like from a veteran property investor Jonathan Bidmead who wrote this on goodreturns.co.nz and I thought it had aspects that were quite interesting and he talks about the coming rental crisis. The failure of government to reverse policies will result in a calamitous fall in houses to rent and escalating rents in a crisis unseen since the 1930s, Jonathan Bidmead writes. The government policies like ring fencing are just another example of punishing the perceived rich landlords. The government have contributed to the current rental housing shortage and brought the sector to a screeching stop. So there's just a few things in this article that are quite interesting. One is the who are the landlords. The landlords are generally someone who intends to rent a property long term for 10 years or longer. And as opposed to those whose purpose it is just to trade properties known as uh, property traders or speculators. According to a report by the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment, 80% of private landlords only own one rental property and 17.5% between two and five properties. So that means that 97% of all landlords fit into that Category. He goes on to say that not all uh, these are not rich people or greedy people, as imagined by the media and portrayed by politicians. These are hardworking, low middle to middle income people trying to run a small business in conjunction with their jobs, and they supply roughly ninety percent of the rental housing stock, while the government supplies about ten percent. So, who are the renters? Generally, over the last one hundred years, around thirty to forty percent of the population have always rented. For many reasons, the majority of these people are on very low incomes and never had the means to save for a deposit for home ownership. 
It is imperative that the supply of rental housing stock is increased to keep up with national and migrant growth. So how does the landlord business model work? Well, rental properties are mostly bought with the equity in an existing personally owned home. It's generally beyond most landlords to save much of a deposit for a rental property as they have little disposable income to save, just like most middle-income earners. So this means that they must delay gratification, they've got to have nerves to write out the losses initially, and often periods of low or negative growth. Being a landlord generally does not bring substantial cash flow for the first 10 years of the business. And often there are losses, and if there are any profits after mortgage interest and other costs, they are put aside for maintenance and renovations often needed between tenants. So being a landlord is often hard work with no tangible income and often losses for the lifetime of the business. So effectively, the landlord works for free for 10 to 20 years before selling the property to reap their retirement nest egg. So by taking away house depreciation and ring-fencing losses on landlord businesses, it is actively discouraging new investment in rental property. And given that it's impossible for the government to be the majority provider of housing stock, it would be cost-effective to reinstate the legitimate business advantages to landlords that are available to all business people. According to the NZ Housing Report, New lending on mortgages for investors fell from 34% in September 2015 to 22% in September 2017. What's worse, the category for investors, as far as the New Zealand Housing Report goes, doesn't differentiate between landlords and traders. So how the government through the Reserve Bank reduced the supply of rental accommodation relative to population growth? Well, they did, did a number of things. They made the... LVRs, that is the loan-to-value ratios, for new home buyers to 20% and investors 40%, effectively restricting the money available for investment in housing in 2016 at a time of acute housing shortages. The government has, via the Reserve Bank's LVR requirements, put an almost insurmountable obstacle for new people to become landlords. Any student of history will tell you that restricting money supply exacerbates the decline of the economy. Again, these are just the, the opinions of, uh, of the investor. So because of high LVRs for property investors, those people who had traditionally opted to become long-term landlords cannot any longer if they want to invest in property, their only option is to trade properties until they can make money, enough money for a 30 to 35% deposit as currently required by the Reserve Bank. And if you combine this with the coming ring-fencing dilemma, now in place in the minds of most existing landlords, many have chosen to exit the market. Instead, properties are being emptied of, ten- emptied of tenants, renovated and sold to new home buyers, making uh, the rental shortage worse. So what solutions might there be to this rental housing crisis? They could reduce the LVR to 10% as it's been recently. They could reintroduce depreciation on houses in order to assist landlords to minimise rental losses for the first 10 years of ownership. Bearing in mind depreciation was always paid back. Remove ring fencing of losses again to assist landlords to minimise the effect of losses in the first 10 years. One thing they don't say in this article is when landlords get more costs or have more costs added, then it tends to get passed on to the tenants. There are many middle-income people who are unable to become landlords despite the desire and implementing the changes around uh, that I just mentioned will enable them to do so. It's a cost-effective option open to the government, but the cost to the taxpayer would be prohibitive, not to say impossible, if the government tried to become the dominant supplier of rental property by building a huge amount of housing. 
So the needs of the 40% of renters are not being met by the politics of envy seeking to crush rich landlords who in fact are low to middle income Kiwis in the most part. So there's a few actions that can be taken, just continually raising concerns with the Minister of Housing and the National Party Housing Spokesperson. Established landlords, hold on to your existing properties if you can. Your 10-year-older self will thank you, and you've heard me on this show say many times that time is your friend when it comes to property. In the light of Labour threatening to restrict rent rises, review your rents and raise them to market rates as soon as possible. Another thing that Labour's threatening to do is remove the 90-day no-cause tenancy uh, termination, uh, and that's where you don't have to give reasons to terminate a tenancy. So they're looking to remove that. So <laughs> this writer says maybe you should use it now to get rid of the tenants you don't want. And in the light of ring fencing, be more fussy selecting tenants. Repairs, painting new carpets, etc. are not cheap. Being unable to offset those costs against losses incurred with being a landlord means it may well be better to have a vacant house for a bit longer until you get a tenant that will look after it and pay the rent. So Jonathan Bidmead, who wrote that article, uh, is the author of the book The Invisible Millionaire, A Guide to Real Estate Wealth. So some interesting stuff there as well. And just before we finish up, here's a quick tale from what not to do if you're a landlord, namely discrimination. And this was from the New Zealand Herald. .co.nz. It says, Northland Destiny Church member refused rental property on religious grounds. So a forestry worker in Whangarei is offended that his application to rent a cottage was refused because he's a member of the Destiny Church. Greg Titomo Arani wants an apology from the landlord of a two-bedroom cottage he applied to rent via Trade Me Property about two weeks ago. When he inquired whether the property was still available, the landlord responded on Trade Me Property. Thank you, Greg, for your application. However, we would not let it to you as we are opposed to anything that Destiny Church represents. Unbelievable that they would say that and put that in writing. So the Arani's family intends to lodge a complaint to the Human Rights Commission. Arani said at first he thanked the landlord for her honesty and since it was a great cottage she'd surely get good tenants. But when I showed what she'd written to my boss, he said it was discrimination. And at the end of the day, Mr Arani says, if it had been a gay person or Muslims, it would have become a lot bigger issue. He says, I'm offended by how she's judged me through my affiliation with the church. I'd like to have a sit down, have a coffee and an apology. He's currently staying in a backpacker lodge in Whangarei since moving up from Hamilton and says finding rental accommodation was very difficult. And the church's pastor in Whangarei, Robbie Johnson, said it was pretty disappointing that people were being penalised for their religious beliefs. It's just discrimination. It bemuses me how judgmental people can be, he said. Andrew King from New Zealand Property Investors Federation, the spokesperson, said expressing a view in the way the landlord did was a breach of the Residential Tenancies Act. And of course there are significant fines with that too. In this case, you do not have a right to freedom of expression. We advise our members not to give a reason why tenancy has been declined. Trade Me wouldn't talk about this case, but said all of its members have to comply with New Zealand laws, laws, including the Human Rights Act. Tenancy Services says that discrimination is unlawful under the tenancy law as it breaches the Human Rights Act, and that it's unlawful to choose tenants, just so you know, based on gender, religious or ethical beliefs, race or colour, nationality, ethnicity, origin or citizenship, physical or mental disability or illness, age, 
political opinion, employment status, marital and family status, including any responsibilities for dependents and sexual orientation. Tenancy Services said in a statement, landlords can't turn down a potential tenant because they go to a certain church. They also can't change the agreement after the sign because they find out the tenant is unemployed. So it's going to be interesting to see where that one goes. If he takes the the landlord to court, he will win a considerable amount of money. Thanks very much for listening. This is Greg Watson. You're listening to Property Matters here on NPR. We'll see you next week. Support this programme and others like it by giving a donation to NPR. More details at npr.nz.